There we are. There we are. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. Glad you're here on this Monday. That's actually a holiday. We actually had to ask Alexa if today was like Columbus Day. We did. Or Indigenous Peoples Day or we whatever did. it's called now because, I don't know, it kind of floats on by me. There, I even got a paper this morning from the Wall Street Journal, which I typically yeah. don't get on holidays. So yes. I guess this holiday is receding into the background. And any um, any of you guys out there who are Plano ISD parents or grandparents, do you know if this week is fall break? Um, we found that out yesterday because we have relatives that live in Rockwall who asked us to go out for breakfast this morning and they're both teachers. It was like, okay, something's going on. <laughs> and we can't their, do that. We're it working. It was their fall break. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, Absolutely. anyway, just hope everybody is doing well today. It's a really nice day out. Beautiful day. we got a whole string of them here. No, we could use some rain. That, that's for sure. We could. You know when it's going to rain? When we go to Israel. Well, my, my lawn just wants it. So, know. <laughs> you know, whether I'm here or not, it wants rain. It always seems when Scott and I go on vacation, the nice weather comes. So if y'all, you know, want to send us away somewhere sometime. So is the nice weather the rainy weather or the sunny weather? Well, it's even just the cooler weather. Like in the yeah. summer when it was so, so, so hot here. And we went to Branson and then it was hotter there than it was here. They you got like that rain chill, a few days. Huh? Yep. Okay, so well, okay, so just a little bit of housekeeping. So today we are in Isaiah 65, and we will certainly, by next week, finish the book of Isaiah, which is kind of good timing because then we're, Patty and I are gone for two weeks, taking, you know, 90 people to Israel. And then we'll be back. So on Monday, November 7th, I'm planning on having class. We'll be in a coma. <laughs> yeah, we may be a little punchy. <laughs> we arrived the day before. Yeah, well, I've just but, blown like... But I want to, and we yes. might as well. I hate to miss three weeks. Yes. So we're coming back in time to have class on that Monday afternoon. And we're going to start First Thessalonians. And my plan is to do First Thessalonians and the ever-intriguing... Second Thessalonians as well. Say that three times. <laughs> I'm hoping I don't have to say that very often. But yeah, we'll have that. We'll get oriented to um, Thessalonica and Brown will bring a few maps and everything. We can we can sort of place Paul in context again. And it's a great letter. First Thessalonians is um, it's always in competition with Galatians for people's opinion about which, which he wrote first. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the Galatians group. Okay. Are you in good company? I am in good company. Oh, good. Of course. Of course. I try to be in good company. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else you have for us today there, Patty? Um, I see Yvonne said that the kids have off two days, Monday and Tuesday. Well, that's that's good. And maybe okay. that's what, I just haven't checked with my daughter-in-law about our grandsons if they had off these couple days. But um, I I think we're okay. You know, the whole time class is going to go on, I'm going to panic because when I turned on my computer, it told me that my Quicken was gone. And of course, you always think that's some kind of phony thing, but no, I open Quicken and it's gone. It's just gone. Everything from 2007 on. So the good thing is Scott backs up stuff for me a lot and I'm just praying I won't have... I'll have something. Yeah. Something... <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Quicken's an odd 
Quicken is the oddest software I've ever it, encountered. It is, but. it is, but I like it. I like to keep my stuff balanced with the banks, you know, that's, anyway. So I'm really gonna try to concentrate though. I'm really gonna try to concentrate and not have the what ifs going on. Yeah, please do. Imagining myself making up 15 years. <laughs> you won't have to do that anyway. Anyway. Tim's got it all, right? See, Tim's got backups going way, way back. That's true, that's our accountant, so. Yeah. Anyway, okay. everybody, it's Scott's going to pray. We're going to pray. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here on this beautiful sunny Monday in October. And we just, uh, as we near the end of this journey through Isaiah that started a long time ago and was rather daunting when we started, um, just uh, help, as always, to open up the page of Scripture for us, give, give us greater understanding, give me greater understanding. Um, help us to hear in this uh, your word for us as well as to the, your word for these people who lived, um, you know, two and a half millennia ago. Because um, we know that your people span thousands of years. And we are grateful to be here today in 2022, counting ourselves among your people. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Okay. Right on the other side. All right, we'll rearrange the camera. Uh, maybe boost up the brightness just a tad. Maybe roll that back a little. So, let's see. We're going to start in the 65th chapter at the 11th verse. That's pretty much where we stopped last week. 65th chapter at the 11th verse. So, let me, let me set this up a bit. Where the book of Isaiah is leading us, where the prophet is leading us, is toward this big conclusion with about the fulfillment of God's promises. And there being two groups, those who will participate in the glories of these promises and those who will not those who are servants of the Lord and those who shake their fist at God and walk away and are servants of themselves. So, so that's what you'll see here is putting against each other this speaking to the servants, speaking against those, speaking to those who have chosen against God. Okay? And all of this is going to bring us ever closer, ever closer to the keeping of these big promises and this vision of um, the completion of the promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 3, when God said to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. And, and, and that promise, the keeping of that promise is getting ever closer. Okay? So... 6512, just a brief intro. Hmm. 6511. That's where I'm actually going to start. 6511. So, everybody with me? Okay. Isaiah 6511. As for you who forsake the Lord, right? That's the group who are walking away from God, and forget my holy mountain who spread a table for fortune, 
and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny. These are two words we use a lot. Their origins are in, are in the pagan world. Um, Fortuna, um, destiny, even destiny is this sense of where the gods were taking people and so forth. So these are references to those who spread a table for the pagan gods and fill bowls of mixed water for pagan goddesses. That's, that's really the big way to understand verse 11. Then God says to those people who have chosen against God, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will fall in the slaughter. There are very strong, 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 strong words of warning in these closing chapters to those who insist upon going their own way, who insist upon forsaking God. And they can sound so very harsh to us unless you see them as gigantic, blinking red road signs saying you are driving yourself over a cliff and your ruin awaits you. Parents speak strong words of warning to their children. We speak strong words of warning to our teenagers. They're often ignored. But, I mean, if I had a teenager right now, I'd have to send them down and say, I, you know, I grew up in a different world. You and your friends, you can't do recreational drugs. Not that I ever did recreational drugs, but I knew kids who did. You can't, you can't do them anymore. You can't trust anymore what you're buying from anybody in that world. It's, it's, it's just over. Everything could be spiced a bit with fentanyl. And I think I would probably use really stark language, really dramatic. It's kind of like, remember that old um, public service announcement on TV where the, where the person's in the kitchen and, and the frying pan is getting hotter and hotter and then they take the egg and they break the egg and they lift it up and say, this is your brain on drugs? Yes. Okay, so remember that? So what was that all about? That was to scare the crap out of kids and say, I don't know whether it worked, no, can't do it. Don't do it. So, so don't be put off by the strength of these warnings. They're meant, they're meant really to call people to repentance. I don't think, I don't think you could scare somebody into lo loving someone. What was that? Are you okay, Patty? Yeah, I just tried to kill a fly. Did you kill the fly? I think I got part of a. How do you get part of a fly? <laughs> I mean, how big is a fly that you could get part of him? I think I got part of him. That's all I can tell you. Okay. Okay. Well, all right. That was exciting. <laughs> Might so, happen again. So. I um, so like I was saying, I, you can't scare somebody into loving you, but but you might scare somebody into changing their ways. That man, that's again that old show in the jail where they were going to put the kids in the jail and have them experience so they would be what scared straight, scared straight, right? That's Remember what that? It was yeah, called. yeah, and that was scary. It was scary. It should be scary. It is. It 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 isn't the path to love, but it can be the path to repentance to realize that you need to make a big change in your life. And then the next step is to well, let's talk about who that change needs to be focused upon, which is of course Jesus, but. So verse 12, I will destine you for the sword and all of you will fall in the slaughter for I called 
but you did not answer. Like a parent calling to a child who's running into traffic. I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight. And you chose what displeases me. What displeases God? Sin. Sin. The doing of evil. The doing of evil. And what is evil? Again, just a little refresher. Evil is not some counterbalancing force in the universe or something like that. No. Evil is simply absence. the destruction of the good. The absence of the good. An evil act is an act that diminishes the good. That destroys life, diminishes life, takes away life, diminishes beauty, takes away beauty, truth, the rest of it. So... So evil is about the destruction of the good. That's what it is. And people who commit evil acts consciously commit to lessening the good in this world. Think about that. You did evil in my sight, God says, and you chose what, display, what, what displeases me. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Yahweh, Yahweh the King of all, King of everything, ruler of the cosmos says, My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. He's still speaking to those who, are, who, are, who have shaken their fist at God and walked away. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. And and you get these images of a great of a great feast that the those who have forsaken God will not participate in. Take a moment and put a bookmark there and let's let, let's go somewhere here. Go back to the twenty fifth chapter of Isaiah verses six to eight. Maybe you could type that in there, Patty. 25, 6 to 8. Because the way these prophetic books work, work is that they have these ever-enfolding images, right? They're always rolling one on top of another on top of another. So... So the sort of the thematic unity of Isaiah is seen in these pieces that connect together that are far apart on the scroll. I mean, it's a long way from chapter 25 to chapter 65. Indeed, chapter 25 was probably written 700 years before Jesus and chapter 65 was written probably, I don't know, 530, 550 years before Jesus. So so here is here's this one vision of in Isaiah 25. On this mountain Yahweh Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. 
He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. So you can see in the, up there at the top, in the very first line, a feast of rich food for all peoples. But you can ask yourself, well, what, ha what happens to the people who forsake God? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? That's a good, that's a really good question. But this image of the feast and so forth, you know, Jesus told a lot of parables about banquets, right? A lot of parables built around food. And it's, I think, part of the reason is because these, the people in this world, this ain't, the, these ancient people, most of them lived on subsistence diets. Um, my struggle in life is to avoid calories. <laughs> their struggle in life was to find enough calories to live. I've never experienced such, such an existence. You know, even when we were, even when I was young and we'd hardly had any money and were eating, you know, carnation powdered milk out of a box. Ever heard of it? Yeah, not good. It was still, you're not, we, we weren't fighting for our lives. There are people, of course, a lot of people on the planet, sadly, who do. But I haven't experienced that. I suspect most of us haven't. But, but that struggle to survive famines and to, to survive starvation, that was something these people were intimately familiar with. So like, yeah, so you get a parable or a story or a picture or an image of a big feast and everybody being able to eat anything they wanted was very powerful. Very powerful. Um, so back to 65, back to the other end of Isaiah. Back in 13, Isaiah 65, verse 13. So he says, God says, my servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. Right, the counter back and forth of these mm -hmm. from these these two groups. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit, because they have chosen against God. They have chosen really what do humans do? They have cho they really have chosen self over God. And they've walked away and they don't understand. Maybe they do understand and don't care. They've walked away from the source of joy and fulfillment and eternity and abundance. They've walked away. N.T. Wright uses this illustration they came up with once of, of um, people who have who have so let the image of God in themselves shrink and chip away and rust and corrode until finally it's gone. And what are they then? And he writes says they're not really human anymore. It's it's the image of God in us that makes us human. Without that, what are we? We're just 
We're, we're mindless, heartless brutes. Forever walking in a in an unending grayness that what is it? What you know authors have different ways of, of describing this, but God doesn't want that for anybody. That's what you gotta get you need to understand. What is God's what was God's goal? That that there would be loads of people who cried out from anguish of heart and wail and brokenness of spirit? No. Abraham, God says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you many descendants. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's what God wants. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, the universality that people talk about is the universality of God's love, God's desire to bring everyone together. But if people don't want to, either on this side of the grave or the other, if they don't want to, they can shake their fist at God all the way to their doom. Their doom consisting of crying out from anguish of heart and wailing and brokenness of spirit. Verse 15. Speaking to the those who've walked away, you will leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses. Now there are a couple of examples from the Bible. I think there's one in Jeremiah, a couple of people whose names were used as curses upon others. And I'm trying to think of any that we use like in English today. And I failed. <laughs> I couldn't come up with, I bet there's something there that, that, um, It'll probably come to me at like 2 a.m. or something like that. No, not me. I'll be asleep. Poor Patty will be awake. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it'll come to her. But but so here, God says, oh, you people are walking. I'm going to take your name away from you. Remember, names for us are labels. They're just like labels. They could be anything. But for in the ancient world, names meant something. They were a part of who you were. You, get, you tell somebody your name, you're giving them power over to you. Kind of like in our world, if we gave somebody our social social security number so God says you will leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses the sovereign Lord will put you to death but to his servants he will give another name another name that's always intriguing in scripture and it's always very ambiguous and unclear and obtuse there's there's a couple names in the book of Revelation that you well, what is this name? What is that name? Um, all you know is, all I would pretend to know is, is that it's really good. Maybe it's a name like Most Beloved or something like that instead of simply Scott, whatever. Okay? Just, just look at the fact that it says in verse 15, the sovereign Lord will put you to death. Right? Might be a first death, might be a second death. But can there be life apart from God? I don't think so. God is the giver of life. How can there be life apart from God? Really? 
This was Clark Pinnock's point. He was a theologian who got into trouble sometimes, but with his evangelical peers um, in theology. But if God is the giver of life, then how could there be life apart from God? Something to think about. What about though the people who live today that don't believe in God? Well, do you just are you talking about eternal life or eternal, you talking eternal life? Okay. Yeah, and. You know, it's, it's, even those who have utterly turned their back on God in this life, God is still there calling them home, calling them back to God, right? So, so Christian doctrine has always been that nobody is beyond the possibility of God, the power of God's grace. And that's you know scandalous for some, but but that's that's the classic Christian doctrine based upon the New Testament and the power of God's love and the sufficiency and and enormity of God's grace. But at some point, at some point, it might be after the great resurrection. Are you for God or are you not? Which is it? That's the image in, in which we'll get to in a little bit in Revelation um, 20. Okay, verse 16. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Of course, there are no other blessings. No point in blessing somebody in the name of Baal. Nope. I guess this is offensive, but we're all friends here. Might be offensive to some, not to me. Shouldn't be. I'm a Christian. There's no point in blessing somebody in the name of Allah. The Muslim conception of God. Because it's not true. That's not a true story. There is one God who is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. There is no other. It was true then. It's true now. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Not two, not untrue, not anything else, by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by whom? The one true God. They live in a time that is explicitly polytheistic. Countless gods and goddesses populate people's imaginations and homes and temples and all that stuff. We live in a time in which there are, in truth, there are, there are many, many conceptions of, of, of gods and even goddesses across the planet. Because only Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are there. We're at least all monotheistic. Uh, the other religions are all polytheistic. But there is only one true God, and that is the God revealed fully in Jesus Christ. That's the clear, direct Christian teaching in the New Testament. It's true. We know it's true. How do we know it's true? Because the tomb was empty. 
so. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God, for the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. You see, that's again a very colorful Im image, isn't it? That the troubles, what troubles? Well, the fact that even the people who have chosen for God have a very tragic history of choosing against God, of being faithless. Look at any of us in our lives. Can any of us stand here and say, oh no, I've been faithful and loving to God and to my neighbor every day of my life? No, we can't. None of us can. None of us can. We, our lives are burdened by by sin and by bad choices and by envy and jealousy and things that tear people apart, tear families apart. We rationalize terrible things that we do. We as cultures rationalize terrible things that we do. But you see, what does God say? The past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. It, I just thought of old John West. That's the name, Patty from yes. Prestonwood, right? Yes. So we used to go hear John West speak sometimes at lunchtime on Wednesdays. Yes. And, and he would talk about taking all your troubles and all your anxieties and putting them in a big bag pulling it to and then tossing out and tossing it out into the ocean because it was past it was past and God forgives the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes you can take that yourself down to your own personal life my past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from God's eyes God is very God is very forward-looking. God doesn't spend all... <laughs> this is funny the way to put this. I don't know. <laughs> it's like God doesn't spend all God's time dwelling on the past, on the things that you and I can't change. We shouldn't either. What's done is done. The mistakes that have been made have been made. The consequences to be suffered for those mistakes have been suffered. You may even still be suffering some of them. But you got to look forward. you got to look ahead. Because that's what God does. God is always saying, come on, come on. Come on. Look forward. The past is the past. Let's start afresh. Let's start anew. Um, uh, um. It's, just, it's just simply God's way, time and again in Scripture, to make the past the past, and to start anew, to start afresh. Second chapter of Hosea. I'm going to take, this is talking about faithless Israel. I'm going to take her out into the wilderness. I'm going to lure her again. I'm going to romance her again. I'm going to sweep her off her feet. I'm going to bring her candy and I'm going to bring her roses. And we're going to start over. It's God's way. Dwelling on things you can't change gets you nowhere so all of this that God has been saying to those who are shaking their fist at God 
is bringing things to this great promise, right? So why has been God? Why has God been saying these things? Why does He issue these warnings? In in that we've got so far in chapter sixty-five. Well, look where we have come. Verse seventeen. See, God says, "I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered." By that He means. Our sins, collectively, individually, the Israelites, you and me, whomever. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. It's going to be new. We're going to start over, just like in Hosea 2. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem. This is, the, this is, this is God's city, as it were, to be a delight and its people a joy. So, let's go to Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> it's always easy finding Revelation. Yeah, that's just, it's like the last one, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's like finding Genesis. So okay, Revelation one. 21, verse 1. Okay, so, so let me just set this up a little bit. So in chapter 20, um, uh, Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire. Death has been thrown into the lake of fire, which tells you that the whole thing's a big metaphor, okay? Um uh, the book of merit has been opened and read, and the book of life has been opened and read. Um, the book of life being the names of those who, who have, who are embracing God, and so, and there is, there are those who do not, in keeping with Isaiah 65. We've just been there. Still, those two groups. So then you come to chapter 21 in Revelation, and now. It's like the curtain is pulled back. Remember, um, Revelation is apocalyptic writing. It is writing about an unveiling, showing you things that you could not imagine if you were not shown them. Things you could not imagine if you were not shown them. So the curtain opens again in Revelation because this is like the last act. This is like the big one, right? For Christians, this is the return of Jesus. He actually comes back in chapter 19, but, but this is the culmination of the return of Jesus. For the Jews, this is the culmination of the keeping of God's promises, i.e. Isaiah 65. So the writer of Revelation is certainly, almost certainly Jewish and chooses to use the Old Testament writings, particularly Isaiah, in order to paint the picture of a world put right. And so, how does he begin this, this last, final, great section in the book of Revelation? 21.1 Then I saw, because remember, John the Revelator is, is communicating his vision. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I see Norm is asking why is heavens in verse 17 
plural, doesn't mean a thing. Heavens is just a way of speaking of all that stuff up there. Okay? So I, I, I wouldn't put any, any, any weight on that. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That is everything. See, in this conception of reality, that's everything. Everything remade. The entire, the Greeks had a word for everything. It's cosmos. This is the entire cosmos remade. Why? Because the entire cosmos was rent, torn, by the rebellion of humanity against God. Go back and read Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 and Romans 8 and the places in the gospel where the trees are clapping the arrival of Jesus because they want everything put right, including the earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The time had come for the complete and utter manifestation, which means the complete and utter, for everyone to see that indeed God is good. Indeed God is remaking everything. And there was no longer any sea. Sea. S-E-A. Why? Because that's an image of chaos for the, for the Israelites. They were, not, they were not water people. <laughs> um, they were not ocean-faring ocean folks. No longer any sea. The sea was a, was a symbol of, of chaos. And in some of the apocalyptic visions, like in Daniel, the great monsters that come up out of the, the sea a good way for us, a good thing it helps us to remember is that God is the God of order, not chaos. Mm -hmm. Order, not chaos. I'm teaching 1 Corinthians now on Tuesday. We're talking about worship. Paul writes a lot of words, but they boil down to this. Have orderly worship, not chaotic worship. Control yourselves. Discipline yourselves. Have orderly worship, not chaotic worship, because that's how you're going to be a good witness to others and build up the body of Christ. So, so I saw, quote, a new heaven and a new earth. That's from Isaiah 65. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. Now that's going to be Jerusalem. That is the place where God's temple stood. So, of course, it symbolizes God's city, God's world, God's, God's dimension, God's kingdom. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Right? Now, we bring to this lots of our conceptions about what's happening here. Okay, because we have this idea of heaven. Well, heaven is where I go when I die, and end of story, that's it. It's up there, it's clouds, we're all singing hymns, all that kind of stuff. So just get rid of all of that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna read this to you in a better way. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from the place where God is, where God's throne is. And so for the ancients, where is that going to be? Up it's going to be coming down from up here, like descending from above. 
Boom. Down here. We have a better understanding of God's creation than the people did 2,000 years ago. I would hope so. It's been 2,000 years. God gave us brains. We know about germs. We have microscopes and telescopes and all kinds of things. So that's a should be an uncontroversial statement. And so for me and for many, I think, Christians today would tend to see it as coming from the dimension that we might call God's kingdom coming down to our dimension. The point is that where is it? It's coming to somewhere. And where is it coming to? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Coming down out of heaven to where? To here. To earth. You know, I grew up, like many of us, certainly influenced by a lot of traditions in American Christianity in the last 200 years. And a lot of it was, you know, fly away home and hymns like it that had me, when I die, flying home to where that's my real place is. But it's up there somewhere, okay? But that's not the story. The story is God comes here. It's about here. God creates a, God doesn't create a new heavens and a new earth so we can leave earth. <sighs> Go back to Genesis 1. God created the earth and he pronounced every bit of it good. Good, 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 good. The story in scripture is the story of how it went wrong because of our humanity's rebellion against God. So now when God has put that right, Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God. God comes here. In essence, the city comes here. It's about earth. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Because all the way in scripture, from beginning to end, a way to talk about the relationship between God and his people is groom and bride, husband and wife. And for most of Israel's history, heck, for all of Israel's history, they commit adultery by running after pagan gods and goddesses. But now all of that is behind. And now there is this great wedding. In chapter 19, it's called the marriage of the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb, with his bride, the people. It's just a reiteration of that. It's like it's like piling one magnificent image on top of another and they enfold and entwine and should be filling your heart with soul and your with with excitement and your your brain with with wonder. Verse 3, and this is John, the revelator again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne, which is God, said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. There we go. It's about coming here and this world being remade. That's, that's what you have to link up with the great resurrection. We profess that we believe in our actual bodily resurrection. That's the last part of the Apostles' Creed. And bodies need what? Bodies need nourishment. They certainly need gravity. Or they go flying off. Who knows where. So, so it is about the remaking of this world. It's about this world being put right. Not our spending eternity sitting in clouds playing harps, which is kind of how... It was explained to me when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, Scott, Yeah. you gave this um, explanation a number of years ago, and most people who know us well know we've seen a lot of movies in our lifetimes, both of them. Yes. And, you know, when, when you read this, like, for the old earth is gone and the he you know, old heavens are gone, you... To me, it was always very, like, are they really not, like, do they just go and then, like, God makes new ones? Or the best thing was the explanation you gave, which does takes a little bit of, of uh, imagination, but we actually can see a scene like it in the movie in Star Trek, <laughs> Wrath of Khan, where they um, actually, like, the planet, a whole planet is dead. Yes. And they're actually able to send like a bomb-like thing, like a little them, capsule, to that planet, and instantly we can see very from very very far away, like I don't even know how far away we are, but we could actually see this whole planet turning green, 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 green until it comes all the way around the other side, and it's renewed and it's beautiful. And do you remember the name of the project? Is it In Genesis? The, that's it, the Genesis, Genesis project. project. Yeah. To, and, um, to to take dead planets yes. and bring them to life. So anyone who doesn't want to watch the whole movie, I guarantee you if you Google it, like on YouTube, the Genesis Project, yes, Star it will Trek. come up. Star Trek, yeah. But it will be probably a clip of it on YouTube. Yeah, I'm not sure it's Wrath of Khan. It might be the third one, Search for Spock. I don't know. I don't know. I but don't anyway, know. aha. Anyway, You're right. I, the Genesis Project. You know, one time I tracked down as best I could somebody who had tried to like clip that part of the movie out the see did the special effects are so awful you could never use them in 2022 without getting laughed out of the room so but it's it is you see because we christians so many of us lost our understanding of the resurrection of the body we lose our under, we then also lost our understanding of what god was going to do one day and what God meant by, well, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth, right? And, and then these images that come from the ancient world of how wonderful a place it would be. Because you and I could certainly sit down and come up with a set of images about what it could be. You know, if we all got around a table and said, okay, I want you to describe to me the perfect world. What is it like? You know, 
what 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 do you think it would be like? You know, we could joke around, I guess in part I could say like I can eat anything I want and not gain an ounce. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, that sounds pretty good cuz I I like to taste I like tasty things. So, um so so let's take this discussion and thank you Patty for that back to Isaiah 65. Okay? Because that's where it comes from. Do I have any questions or anything from anybody besides norms? Uh, I don't see any. The plural, I, I, I just, I, you know, I, I would be disinclined to make much of that norm. The heavens. We probably... I guess if I were to maybe try to find a way to align to put between the heavens and the hev and heaven, the heavens are all of God's creation, and heaven is uh, is the dimension where God is, or God's throne room, or something like that. But it's kind of tenuous because the ancients' understanding of what's up there is just not the same as ours you know they were they were beginning to understand things better by the by the time of jesus but um if you read like aristotle or you look at the aristotelian uh, depiction of the earth and the stars with these these circles it's like this giant machine, everything moving inside together as they tried to plot the stars and understand how the stars were moving and what made them move with the planets and the way that they did and so forth. It doesn't, doesn't bear much resemblance to what we have since discovered, but... Okay. So, here's where we are. So I'm going to start again at 17 and just read on past where I stopped, okay? As a person that likes to be busy, what do you think we will all be doing after we all arise? Well, Mona, I'm inclined to think that if you want to be busy, you will be able to be busy. I would like to think that my that I will get a chance to do a lot of the things that I didn't have time to do in this life. It would it would depress me if somebody said, "Well, Scott, you know, in 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 the new heavens and new earth, there's there, there's no books. You'll know everything you need to know." Well, that's not attractive to me. I so I don't know. That's why I tell people just pack it with as much goodness as you can, with as much goodness as you can. And Kathy says, "What? Can you read that for sure. us?" Sure. Sometimes I worry because God is outside of time. So how come he really forgot what we have done wrong? I do understand, though, that he is forgiving. Okay, I can help you with this, Kathy. So the forgetting part is not actually... The forgetting and the remembering pieces that happen throughout the Old Testament with regard to God are not to be taken literally, that God forgets and remembers as you and I forget and remember. They speak of God's turning his back on sin on wrongs on the past and it's i think it's i think it's beautiful you know i forget 
I forget the troubles. I forget the troubles. It, it's, it's like when, when God says in Exodus, you know, I, I, God heard the, the cries of the Israelites floating upward to God and God remembered them. It wasn't as if God really could like forget them. But it's a way of saying God is now going to take action. God is going to move forward and now's the time to do that. And it was just this Hebrew idiom for talking about the fact that God is putting those sins and the troubles and the faithlessness behind God, behind us, out of the relationship. Because as long as they're hanging on, their relationship is... The reconciliation can't be, can't be complete, right? You, 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 it's it's like the parable of the prodigal son. That was that Jesus was a genius. That's just such a great illustration. That that son comes to back to dad with so much baggage. God just puts it all behind, runs down and grabs up the wayward son and sweeps him up in his arms. All that stuff is the past. You can't undo the past. You can't undo what's been done. And so, yeah. Maybe that helps, Kathy. Idiom. That's, that's what's going on there. Okay. So, anybody else? <laughs> I think that's it, but those were two good questions. Yeah, always. So, Big important piece here, Isaiah 65, verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take, light, take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it, in Jerusalem, which means on the earth. Never will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. So now don't, don't come at me and say, well, but what about life eternal? Yes. The Christians come to understand life eternal. That This is not trying to be deeply theological. This is trying to lay out a world that these ancient people from 2,500 years ago couldn't even imagine. What do you mean? an We're not going to have any infant death? Do you realize that in this world, in the, in the, even in the later world of the Greco-Roman Empire, with the wealth of the Romans, about one out of two babies didn't make it past the age of five. Wow. I mean, that was a big part of why life expectancies were low. There were still people who lived to be pretty old, but even by our terms. But just so many people died young from all kinds of diseases they couldn't cope with. An infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. You see, everybody's going to get to be, to, to, to enjoy their full span of life. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. See, that's a hint of eternal life, isn't it? Yep. 
Yeah, it is. It's just a hint. It's like a little signpost, a little tantalizing bit waiting to be developed more fully in the New Testament. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 will be considered accursed. See? One of those who chose against God. They will build houses and dwell in them. Well, that seems straightforward. Not for these people. These people built houses for the rich people to live in. But, but now, whoa, my gosh, I'm going to build a house and I get to live in it myself. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. You mean God, I can plant the vineyard and have it for myself? I don't have to turn it over to somebody else? That, that's this great story of Ahab in the Bible. Who Jezebel just wanted to take this guy's little vineyards garden so much she had him, ended up having him killed. This is a reminder. Sorry. That's okay, dear. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, see, trees live a long time, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Enjoy the work of their hands. You know, this, this is this little point that I, I, I teach, point out every time I teach the opening chapters of Genesis, work is given before the fall. Before the humans rebel against God, work is given. Which means what? Work should be joyful, satisfying, um, fulfilling. The fact that a lot of people in our world do work which is not is only a reflection of human sinfulness. What if everybody got to do work and could make a good living doing what they absolutely enjoy doing? That's the picture in Genesis, in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, earlier this year, I came across some work by a man named Arthur Brooks, who is, oh, I don't know, he's at one of the institutes, but he wrote, he... he um, writes a column on happiness for the Atlantic. He teaches a class at Harvard Business School, which is what caught my eye. And it's all on happiness and trying to pull together a lot of threads in research studies about happiness. Because you see, we tend not to be happy people. You would think, given the fact that we have iPhones and all this other stuff when you know, our parents didn't back in the 50s, well, we'd be much happier. But that's not the case. Are we not only not more happier, we're probably less happy than they were 70 years ago. Americans were 70 years ago. And he said, if you look at all, across all this research, there are four keys to enjoying a happy life. He says, you need to have in your life friends, and you need to have in your life family. And you need to have in your life meaningful work. 
because we were right for we we were created to work so i'm not surprised by that one meaningful work and the last one is faith now he's writing for a diverse audience you're right but as a christian faith great better yet faith in jesus christ but friends family meaningful work and faith those are the four the characteristics of people who enjoy happy lives could there be happy people who don't have those four well sure but those four are the ones that consistently show up in studies of people who score higher on the happiness scales so back to 6522 my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands they will not labor in vain nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune for they will be a people blessed by Yahweh they and their descendants with them before they call I will answer while they are still speaking I will hear the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food they will neither the speaking of the serpents now they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain says Yahweh so what is it what is this long list of is it a long list on which you're going to base base all your theologies of creation and eternity and anthropology and all that stuff no it's a list of ways that ancient people would imagine the most perfect world that they could none of them have ever lived in a world that was anything like this the wolf and the lamb are going to feed together the lion will eat straw just like the ox nope that's not the world they know but it's a world god promises and if you uh, if you want to understand your bible well and understand what god is doing in this world well you need to grasp that this is where god has always been bringing things yes it's here in isaiah 65 yes it's forward in revelation 21 but why don't you why don't we go back to micah chapter 4. um scott lynn did comment there that um even work that is mundane but necessary is made better by kindness, appreciation, and courtesy. Exactly. I think that's so right because not everybody does get to do a job that they absolutely enjoy. They and guess who can make a lot of mundane jobs better? The rest of us. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. We interface with service people all the time we out sure there. Do. You know, and you can be kind, appreciative and courteous in all your dealings out there in the world and if you are you're going to make people's lives a little bit better it doesn't have to be it's not going to be dramatic but if you can remember people's names let them know that you appreciate them the the service they're offering you whether whatever it might be that is and they'll probably be much nicer to you too, yeah well that's, that's just the, that's, that's just kind of how it works it. isn't yeah, it that's it kind of how it works Okay, so let's go to Micah 
chapter 2. Thanks for that, Lynn, because that is really, you know, yes, yeah, see, we... We, we can improve the lives of people in ways that we hardly ever stop to think about. It might be small, but I'll tell you, I don't know that it's always small. Um, I probably told you all about the, the waitress at the server that Patty and I met in Branson, Missouri. Carla. And we met her, and we heard... You know, some of her story, and when I'm talking with her, and she kind of, I don't know, Patty has a way of getting people to open up a little bit. And I guess it was kind of a, she had the time to do it, and so she kind of opened up. And so when we finished, you know, Patty and I agreed that we would leave leave her a substantial tip. And, um, and, and she let us know then later how much it meant to her. She texted me, I think, it's, or texted Patty, uh, one of the two of us. I think you gave her... Um, I, had, I gave her a strong, business card. She was strong in her faith and didn't know how she was going to get through the situation, but yeah. prayed somehow she would, and you gave her one of your cards. Yeah, and that's how she found us. Talk. And, and, yes. and, and thanked us. It was just... It, you well, know, God put us there that night yeah. at that time. Because she needed totally somebody to that. listen. Yeah. So, anyway, gosh, it's a good way to live life, I've learned, too late, later than I would have liked. So, here we are. So, this, now Micah is written 700 years before Jesus, and this passage is a parallel to Isaiah 2, chapter 2, which is also comes from like, now we're like 700 years before Jesus. So, look at verse 2. Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. I'm so sorry. Where are I'm you? I'm sorry, Micah 4. Oh, Micah 4. I thought you said Micah 2. I'm very sorry. Micah 4, verse 2. Gotcha. Sorry. Yeah. Micah, I'll wait. Micah chapter 4, verse 2. The parallel to it is Isaiah chapter 2. Gotcha. But I thought we'd go to Micah. So, in Micah chapter 4, verse 2, many nations will come and say, quote, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Close quote. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For Yahweh Almighty, Yahweh Sabaoth, has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we, we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. And it's these passages that point you toward 
where God has been bringing all of this. What does God mean when he says to Abraham, all the families will be blessed through you? What is the nature of that blessing? Well, the nature of that blessing is illustrated in things such as this passage from Micah 4, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 65, Revelation 21. If you take all of that and you put it in a great big... <laughs> what? If you put it in a great big poetic blender and you turn it on, you're going to get this kaleidoscope of, of color, right? Filled with joy and significance, love, and eternity. It's yet sadly, these are passages most people don't ever really they don't encounter. They encounter little bits of this and that on license plates or whatever, or they're afraid to open up the book of Revelation because they think it's all just too freaky to deal with. Well, it's not too freaky to deal with. Micah 4 is not too freaky to deal with. Not Isaiah 2, not Isaiah 65. Not Daniel 7. I could go on and list other passages which... They don't, they're not written the way we write things now, but they are, they are the way God illustrated his promises to these ancient people. And it is the way, and those promises, illustrated in this way, have been entrusted to us. Okay? So, let's just go back to Isaiah 65 which we have we now so close to the end here too I just want you to know. Um, yeah that's Isaiah 65 we reached the end of Isaiah 65 mm -hmm. so when we come together next week we will come to Isaiah 66 now the odd thing is Isaiah 66 is a little bit like a little bit like an appendix Right, because what we just did today really seems to me to be the culmination of where everything has been coming. So then in I-66 you get these short, kind of seemingly a little bit independent. They're tied in, but they're, they're at the end of the scroll. And so we will take a look at all of that um, next week. And that will be the end of our journey through the scroll of Isaiah. And like I said, when I get back, Patty and I get back, we get back on November 7th, that's the Monday before Election Day, we will begin talking about Paul and First Thessalonians. That's right. That's right. So Patty's going to come around. Hey, next week it's almost your birthday. <laughs> yes. I love my birthdays. You know why? You're here. I'm here. You yeah. got it. Exactly. Me too. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a... I know people are birthday freaks, but... What's the alternative? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. I know too many people that I love that are not here that would love to be getting a year older. That's right. You know? That's exactly... Well, I imagine we all do. We all do. We all do. We all do. So...
All right. Are you going to close us in prayer, sweetheart? I am going to close us in prayer. Okay. Um, please join with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day today, and we thank you, God, for this time to study your word. We pray, God, that you would be with us and our friends and our family, Lord. We pray that you would hold us close, Lord, that we would seek and find your presence every day. We pray, God, that you'd keep us healthy, and we pray, God, that you'd just keep us strong and safe and we just pray, God, as we should every day for your wisdom and your discernment in our lives and not just kind of go off on our own, Lord. Sometimes we do that. We think we know better. We think we don't need to ask for help, and we do in all things. We lift up these prayers to you today, Lord, and we pray them all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hopefully okay. we'll see some of you guys tomorrow, either online or in person. Yeah, because we're also getting very close we to are. the great chapter on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians. Yes. We're going to have the opportunity to read it all for ourselves God. in chapter 15. That's exciting, right, Patty? It is. It, it is. It is. Yeah. It's this weird time again that we're finished these, we'll be finishing these two books almost at the same time. Almost at the same, same time. Not quite. We have a little bit further to go in 1 Corinthians. Right. But, but yeah. it's close. Close. It's close. Bye, Alrighty. everybody. Have a good Adios, night. Adios, everybody.